0: Today on Abounding Grace. What would spies come and find if they entered into our congregation? As it's reported that perhaps that's happening now. What would they find? Would they find a room filled with love? Would they find a room filled with rebellion? And what would they find in our hearts and our lives for us? What's our reputation to the watching world? Well, I hope that the transforming power of God's love would put us in a position, certainly we need to draw our lines, but would, that we would draw our lines in agape love. And that the testimony would come back to go, man, I don't, I don't understand them at all. But boy, do they talk about Jesus a lot. And there's a demonstration of care and concern for one another and for the community.
1: This is amazing grace. So, what are you known for? If someone was asked to describe you, what would they come up with? Are you known as a complainer or someone who is easily angered? Christians should stand out in this world and be known by love, especially in tough times like these. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll be encouraged to love as God has loved us. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 1 Peter chapter 1.
0: And open your Bibles, would you, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off back in verse 22 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Born Again for Eternity. Born Again for Eternity. We left off in chapter 1 in verse 22 where it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. In our last study together, we learned the value of loving one another and loving our community with this fervent love, this fiery, on-fire love. The natural response of lives purified by the blood of Jesus is obedience. Obedience in the truth. And love is God's mark in your life. It is evidence of His presence in your life. Remember, we learned, and you can jot it down in John chapter 13, in verse 33, it says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." And so what's exactly new about this love and loving one another? I mean, this is not a new command in the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, because I am the Lord. So what is this new part? The new part of the commandment to love are the words that Jesus says as I have loved you. That's new. That's a totally different way of relating to one another. That was new to the disciples, and it was a new way of love for you and me, the love of Jesus. I mean, we can all define love in different ways, and we can all express love in different ways, but what Jesus commands is that we love as He has loved us, in the newness of the new covenant, in the newness of the agape love, when you read through let, let me give you an example turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we have a display of love it's not a complete definition of love i don't like i don't like using that it's not a definition of love it's more of a display and and it's there's so much more to the agape love but this is a great example pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 13 Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but not have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing." And then he begins to display to us, listen, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, verse 5, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This display of love is not something you and I can work up on our own. We can't just take this as a list and say, okay, this is what I will be. No, rather, this is the work internally of the Holy Spirit, the transforming work inside of us. It's a new way of relating to one another, It's not the kind of love of a romantic comedy or definitions of love from some song, but rather the self-sacrificial, unconditional, spiritual love that is welling up inside of us, and it needs an outlet. And now verse 35 in John 13 makes sense that there's a mark in the world that this special, unique, agape love of God demonstrated among a group of people a collective group of people. When, when the world, when those outside of the church, those we might term unbelievers, you know, your family members, the skeptics, the critics, the, the angry ones against the things of God, when, when the world experiences this type of love, they recognize a distinction. They, they don't experience this love in the world. They don't experience this love at work. At wor- they don't get it. It Stifles them. It stops them in their tracks. Well I mean, what's a church without love? I mean, you could call a church without love a, a social club, you can call it a gathering, you could call it an audience. you can call it a multitude, you can call it a crowd, but a group of people knit together by a common love is known as the Church of Jesus Christ. Love covering a multitude of sins. Love being the lubrication when we have friction with one another. Uh, it's easy to gather a crowd. Don't misunderstand and mistake just the merely gathering of a crowd as the church. It's easy to gather a crowd. I mean, if we wanted to gather a larger crowd here, all we needed to do, all we would need to do is announce that, hey, we're giving away a BMW. Come on out to church. We're giving away a BMW and get your chance. But you have to be present. I mean, we'd have to add services. The people that need a new car, they're here in a heartbeat. We could gather a crowd. There's a lot of things. Hey, come on out. We're going to burn the church down. Oh, I want to see that. I've heard about believers being on fire, but that? And people will come. It's easy to gather a crowd. However, the church requires common love. And the church lives in common love. This testimony of Jesus in John 13 is something that came to pass in a real way in the first century. The common love of the early church puzzled the Roman Empire. They didn't understand the love among the brethren. There were a lot of things about this group of believers they didn't understand, but one of them was the love of the brethren. They didn't understand it. This group of people that would gather together, they sang together, they ate together, they endured persecution together, They were the best servants in the homes. They were the best slaves as much of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. And even after they were born again, they continued to be the best servant. They began to excel in all that they they were the most faithful. The, The gatherings of the early church were so intriguing to the Roman government that they sent spies into the congregation. They sent spies to find out what was happening among them and report back to them. Tertullian writes that the Roman government was so disturbed by the early church as Christians were increasing in numbers, and because they wouldn't even bow down to Caesar, and they wouldn't participate in idolatry anymore, they wouldn't take what was required of their to demonstrate their loyalty to Caesar is where they drew the line. They drew the line when they were required to take a pinch of incense And sprinkle it on the bust of Caesar and bow down to the image of Caesar to express their loyalty. They would refuse to do that. They would not bow down to the emperor or any image of the emperor. And so the Romans, the Roman government began to think that they were disloyal. And spies went into Christian gatherings and came back with a report that read something like this. And I quote, These Christians are very strange people. (laughs) Anyone amen that? (laughs) These Christians are strange people. Listen. "...they meet together in an empty room to worship. They don't have an image they bow down to. They speak of one by the name of Jesus, who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And my, how they love him, and how they love one another." End quote. That was the report. What would spies come and find if they entered into our congregation? as it's reported that perhaps that's happening now. What would they find? Would they find a room filled with love? Would they find a room filled with rebellion? And what would they find in our hearts and our lives for us? What's our reputation to the watching world? Well, I hope that the transforming power of God's love would put us in a position, certainly we need to draw our lines, but would, that we would draw our lines in agape love that the testimony would come back to go man I don't I don't understand them at all but boy do they talk about Jesus a lot and there's a demonstration of care and concern for one another and for the community Peter understood this coming back now into 1 Peter he understood this he grafts the teachings of Jesus and now he's reminding us remember Peter's writing to the early church under great persecution under the worst horrible persecution seen at the hands of the Roman government to date. And it's not merely the outward behavior that's vital, but it starts inward. It's the purifying, as he says in verse 22, of our souls. You and I cannot purify our souls. We, we, we are unable to do that inward work. And so we focus on the outward. Many times uh, in a congregation like this, the good news of the gospel will go forth, that today I declare to you very matter-of-factly that if you will turn to God and repent of your sins, He will forgive you. He will take away the guilt and the shame. He will adopt you into His forever family. He will begin the work inside And in a few moments, you'll have an opportunity, both in this room and watching online or listening on there, you'll have the opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness of your sins. But I know any time the gospel goes out, one of the responses is simply this. I'm not ready because my life is so bad. Perhaps if I clean up some of my behavior in the next few months or weeks, if I can just clean some things up, Pastor, then I'll be in a better position to receive that forgiveness of which you speak. I'm just not, I'm just not worthy of it. I, I just, if you knew, Pastor, what I did last night, what I was involved in, if you knew my past, if you knew my rap sheet, if you knew where I came from, you knew where I was born, you knew what I was into, then you would preach the gospel to me differently, is what some people think. Because we're just so caught up on the outside. We just think, you know, I just make, mean to make myself presentable. I need to make sure that I take care. I've got this bad habit i got to get rid of. i got this bad attitude. And when I get rid of it, then I'll be in a position where I can receive the Lord Jesus. But see, the Bible says that your souls are purified. That souls are purified. You are unable by your outward behavior to ever touch your soul. And neither are you by your behavior ever able to deserve or earn the forgiveness of your sins. No, Jesus Christ died For you and for me, he did something you could never do. I know of which I speak. I was one of them sitting in a church very similar to this, hearing uh, the pastor teach about the love of God. And I just began to think, talking myself out of it. Like, I mean, God may love people, but I'm outside of the bounds of God's love. That pastor doesn't know me because if he knew me, he wouldn't declare that to me. I'm so bad. I'm worse than He knows. I've done bad. I've thought bad. I am bad. And so maybe, maybe God will love other people in the room, but certainly not me. And it was a battle for me to humble myself. I didn't even know I was humbling myself. I didn't even know what was happening. I just knew there was a fight going on to believe God at His word. The work of God starts inside before it ever changes the outside. It's only by the Spirit of God, not in your own energies, and your own efforts, that you receive the forgiveness of sin, and that you walk in the agape, unconditional love of God. What you're looking for in love can only exist in the family of God. It can only come from Him. And I'm so thankful I have a family of believers to go through tough times with, and dark days, That I'm in a community of believers that are filled with encouragement. I mean, that's what we need during this time. You don't need, and I don't need, all my bad attitudes stoked by your bad attitudes. I need to be encouraged. I need to be exhorted. I need to be reminded that there's a God in heaven that loves me. And no matter what happens on earth, God is unmoved. He's working all things together for the good. That He loves us, and He hasn't changed His mind, no matter how it feels or what we're facing and the fact that tough times bring out more love and less hatred among believers is true. And it could be that the dark days and difficult times you're in right now, stirring up all this hatred and anger and frustration and, and, and just the fleshly behavior that you haven't seen in a long time, or maybe you have, and it's just more now, is an indication that you're not walking in the love of God. They're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. Why aren't you bearing fruit for the kingdom? Well, because of government. No, that's not why. Well, why aren't you bearing fruit for the kingdom? Well, because I was laid off. No, no, that's not why. Why aren't you bearing? Well, and you have all... No, the reason you're not bearing fruit, the reason why you're not... Because you're not walking in the Spirit. Because the Bible promises if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. That you walk in the Spirit, you will... The fruit of the Spirit is Love. So I believe the Lord would remind us today that God has done the one of purifying. And some of you need to be purified. And that we would learn and be reminded again to love one another. Notice verse 23 now is where we left off. Having been born again. Born again. That phrase originally comes to us from Jesus. And it refers to the millisecond moment that a person is transferred from death spiritually into life. And the only way you can see heaven, like it says in John 3, 3, Jesus said, the only way you're going to be able to see the kingdom of God is by being born again. You know, sometimes you talk about that phrase and you, you might talk to someone, what, what kind of denomination are we go to church? And so, well, you know, I go to that non-denominational church over there on the corner in, in Aurora. And so, Well, you're not one of those born againers, are you? Well, well, there's no such, there's no other type of believer. The only way to be saved is to be born again. Once again, Jesus reminding us that the work of salvation is outside of us. It's outside of our abilities. Only God can give us new life. We've been born again. It's so familiar that we might miss the beauty and the wonder of such a thing. It's such an amazing thing to be born again. To remember that you've been purged from your sins. It means that we receive a new divine nature. We become members of the royal family. We're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. For many of you, being born again means you've been delivered from your addictions. You've been delivered from your hatred. You've been delivered from your past. The curse of bad behaviors or the habit of bad behaviors has been handed down generation after generation. Is broken with you. Everything changes in your family when you're born again. That's what it means. And much more. And we just kind of think, well, yeah, I'm born again. And maybe even embarrassed about it. You're not one of those born-againers, are you? No, 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 not me. No, I just go to church. And not even that much. No, the Lord wants to remind you, you're born again. And notice he says, you were born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So all of us were born of corruptible seed, you know. We were all born in humanity. We were all born, our natural births, physically, Gave us a corruptible nature, a corruptible body. We are decaying every single day. I know it's not a popular topic in our culture today, but the Bible declares to us, and our bodies will remind us, that all of us were born in sin. All of us. And our lives are not getting better and better. The moment we were born was the moment we started to die. And certainly, many have a long lifespan, and for that, we're grateful but you have on the lifespan nonetheless. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that we face the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death, physical death. And we decay every day. And you, some of you are like, wait a minute, Ed, I work out every day. I take care of this body. My muscles are getting bigger. I'm not decaying. I'm buffing out, you know. Well, hey, if you're not decaying, then why do you use deodorant? And then still says people I don't use deodorant either. I know. We all know. We all know. No, our bodies are decaying. And seriously, apart from Jesus Christ, there's just decay and lostness. So when you were born again, it wasn't corruptible seed. It's not temporary. It's eternal. It's not just something you get and you take taken away from you. You were born again of incorruptible seed. And then he says, notice, through the word of God, which once again lives and abides forever. The eternality of the Word of God, the souls of men, the Word of God, eternal. And he compares it, like in verse 24, to grass. All flesh is as grass. And the glory of man is like the flower of the grass. Here in Colorado, of course, in the right season, the grass and our lawns look very nice. For a short amount of time, but they look very nice nice and green. You take care of it. The flowers begin to bloom. I don't know the difference between the ones that last forever and the ones that last temporarily, but, you know, there are certain flowers that you get at certain times. When they bloom, it's very beautiful, very colorful, and it's a wonderful season. But the grass soon turns brown, and the flowers, they die. They are no longer blooming. They fall away. Their beauty is only for a season, Everything down here on earth is not permanent. Remember the context of Peter, right? This is why we teach the Bible verse by verse. You, you got When you think of the grass now, and you think of the flowers, and you think how it's green and brown, and you think of the beautiful flowers, and the petals falling, the, the context is trials. So you, you, you get to sense that you start to think that trials are going to last forever, and they're not. In Jesus' name, your trial will come to an end, hope, most of us hope that it'll come to an end and we still have some extra time to enjoy a life without trials. You know, we want them to end now. But for all of us, our trials will end the moment we die and enter into the presence of the Lord. You have a promise from God. It's like the grass. The grass doesn't stay perpetually green. The flowers don't stay perpetually bloom. They're temporary. And and you can imagine as you're on the run and you have the government after you and you're gonna be lit up in, in Nero's Roman gardens and, and you're just like lost everything and you're reminded, no, I've been born again. This isn't gonna last forever.
1: Yes, there are seasons in life. And it's good to remember that the difficult seasons won't last forever. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from 1 Peter. You can find our studies online at aboundinggraceradio.com. And they're also accessible through our app as well. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And look for us on Apple Podcasts. Well, here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and will send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877 30 grace Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Also remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world. At a time in human history where they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877 30 grace Or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into 1 Peter with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.